I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Y'all better grab your extra large popcorn. We are in the thick of things with great films. I am open and positive. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Let's throw okay. on these boxer gloves. Let's do it. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we do a deep dive on a new release that's just hit theaters or streaming. I'm Helen. I'm Edison. And I'm Miss Sinclair. And this week we are doing a very special double feature episode. There's just so many movies right now. So many. Can't complain about that. So we are doubling up today. Grab your extra large popcorn. Edison, why don't you introduce the first film? Sure. First is a tale so sticky and sweet about a lad who makes chocolate treats. Oh, Maybe you saw it on your holiday, starring our favorite Chalamet. Oh, Don't dance, Helen. Don't dance. <laughs> of course, we speak of the movie Wonka, the best film made since Casablanca. <laughs> what? 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 Why'd you laugh? Did I say something droll? Or are you just being a quarrelsome troll? Anyway, the chocolates, put them in me, and I'll feel joyful watching singing to me. Helen, I bet you had a marvelous time. The dancing colors truly sublime. Sinclair's riled up by the casting of Hugh as an oompa loompa doompa dee doo. I suspect it's because she's just like him. Cranky can't take a risk or nerissim. Okay, even I've grown tired of this song. Three lines in, it was already too long. Every good thing started with a dream. And mine is dark chocolate filled with heavenly cream. Wow. <laughs> wow, Edison. I mean, I will give you a clap for that. Not for the movie, but for for you. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, if y'all are still with us, of course, I can only be <laughs> introing one film, and that is Wonka. This is the latest iteration of the classic Roald Dahl story about Willy Wonka, the famous chocolatier, famously brought to life in 1971 film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which starred Gene Wilder as a titular character, and then again in 2005's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, starring Johnny Depp. This time, the film stars everyone's favorite young movie star, Timothy Chalamet, as Willy Wonka, and is written and directed by Paul King, who previously had a huge success with his heartwarming, family-friendly Paddington films. The story focuses on a younger Willy Wonka who has to outwit a cabal of greedy chocolatiers in order to bring to fruition his dream of opening a chocolate shop. Also starring are Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa and <laughs> Olivia Coleman as Mrs. Scrubbit, a scheming guest house owner who tricks Wonka into indentured servitude. Wonka asks the question, how many licks does it take to get to the center of that? Oh, wait, wrong song, story. <laughs> First thoughts, Helen. Well, okay, so I saw this before Christmas because initially we were going to do this before Christmas and yes. then our schedule got a bit bungled. Mm-hmm. But like you, Edison, I was ha- having a bit of a hard time remembering how this started. Mm-hmm. Um, you had asked this in our in our group text. Uh, but I do remember going to the theater and going to a matinee and feeling just like very pleasant actually that I was going to see this film and it was number four on my no- most anticipated for uh, 2023 mm-hmm. as we recapped last week so you know going into it I was kind of like okay let's let's see what we got yeah feeling feeling uh, cautiously optimistic mm-hmm. yeah what about you Sinclair okay first of all two things <laughs> Girl, I'm there we go. One, I said, and with authority, I said, there is no way we are doing a double feature and putting poor things in the same episode as Wonka. (laughs) You did say that. But alas, here we are. I actually kind of interesting companion pieces. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Two. I am not going to sit here and let you two turn me into a villain. Honey, in this episode the ship has sailed. At all. I don't, I don't want to hear. And singing Glorious Timmy was atop the mast. <laughs> I don't want to hear, oh, Sinclair, you don't like joy. You don't like magic. That's not what this is at all. That's oh, always what it is. Disclosure. <laughs> no, not what this is. So I am not 
gonna let you turn me into the freaking Miss Scribbage of the episode. <laughs> Miss Scribbage. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Look, obviously, I have not been Team Wonka since <laughs> this movie was announced. I've never been on board with this. That I, you know, I haven't kept that a secret at all. Though I do need to say that I did love the Paddington movies. I thought those were really sweet. Mm-hmm. They were really well done. Um, in terms of when this movie first started, and I also need to say I was the only one who could remember how this movie true. even started. You do just have a better memory, though. That yeah. is true. That's true. <laughs> uh, but when this first starts, we do see little Timmy. He's up on the sails. He's singing his little heart out. Uh, and he does have a pleasant voice. Yeah. Uh, which I was a little bit surprised at. I didn't actually realize how much singing he would be doing in this movie. Um, but, you know, with him up on those sails, you do get a sense of the tone of this movie right away. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, I have a pretty good idea of what this is going to be. You know, whether that's a good or a bad thing, we'll stay tuned. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So that's right. So the movie is opening with Timmy up on the mast and he's singing, come with me and you'll be in a world of your imagination. And a hundred percent, his voice is really warm, actually. And of course, his smile is beaming. The delivery is lovely. I was fully in the mood for this. I went to see this over the holidays with a bunch of my cousins. It was also a matinee. Actually, I think on Boxing Day. And um, just was like good vibes. And I knew from the beginning that this was not going to be like a subversive take. We kind of knew that going into it anyway. This is just going to be, you know, good Mm. Uh, and like heartwarming. And you can tell from that, from that opening. And I was so here for it in the right mood for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so why don't we get right into storytelling? Um, yeah, storytelling. I, you know what? I found this movie to be quite delightful. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too, um, Helen. I loved yeah. it. I and I wasn't necessarily expecting that, but like I was like really entertained the whole time, and I was like, "This is really sweet." You know, it's it's not that the story is necessarily that. Uh, inventive or anything but i i don't know i there was something about it that that kept me hooked in i found it to be pretty funny (laughs) at times the musical aspect of it is kind of forgettable Mm. i think that the only song that really stuck with me is pure imagination but that's actually from the original movie so that doesn't really count i forgot it was a musical immediately after and and before too to be honest i (laughs) Went into it being like, oh, yeah, this is a musical. In a way, I think that that could be complimentary. Like, maybe the yeah. musical, the songs themselves didn't, like, weren't memorable necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sometimes, when it's a musical, it can be so distracting. And True. it's, yeah. like, was so seamlessly folded into the, the way that this film was told. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I had one major issue that we'll get into in a little bit. But um, I... I don't know. There, Timmy as this character, uh, which I found to be almost very Mary Poppins esque, mm, like with his yeah, he pulling just stuff out of like, his uh, yeah, out of his like bag. She comes or, in flying, you know, with her umbrella, and he comes in magically yeah. just up on these sails. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah and yeah, he, yeah. he yeah. has a collection of things with him in his little suitcase and his hat, and there was something really playful. And magical about that that I just like thought was really sweet. Yeah, I don't know, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at it from a storytelling perspective, I was trying to. It has to be honest, been a while since I have seen the other films. Mm-hmm. Like I only, I'm sure I only saw the Tim Burton one maybe once or twice. Way yeah, back I think I when it came once. out, and I haven't seen the original in years. So I, I do remember them being a lot darker. Um, Mm. But I appreciated Mm -hmm. that this was sort of a Wonka origin story. It's like this is a younger Willy Wonka before he has been jaded by, you know, the the world around him before while he's still idealistic and driven by his dreams and his like emotional core. And he just wants to bring and share his passion with the world. And I really appreciated that. I thought Timmy was the right one for that. 
I can see how in this world, and it's like this is the very beginning of capitalism or whatever, but it's like you could see mm. these other three, the like mm-hmm. mafia um, chocolatiers, like this is what happens after you've been doing it for a long time when you're just in business for so long and it just can't help but eat away at your soul. And and maybe we see a little bit more of that, Wonka, in those earlier films. But um, I appreciated the origin, the origin story of Wonka. What did you think, Sinclair? I mean, I don't think in any world this <laughs> character, this particular Willy Wonka, ends up being jaded in any way. Mm. Like, I just, I don't believe that at all. Yeah. That mm. this is, this, uh, you have to look at this movie as two separate things. Because I think in no world right. does this Timmy character become the Gene Wilder character. I hope so. In in, in any way. And yeah, you can, you can hope that. and That's fine. I just think that this is definitely, it's its own thing and yes. for me i have to separate those two things because it's just not believable for me if i look mm-hmm. at it in that way i understand that you two were delighted by this and i think that's fair i i actually do think that's fair okay. i think it's fair that you um were in the mood for it i think it's fair that you went with family members on a matinee and i think that i that went is, alone but <laughs> you went alone that's fine yeah. but I think that the purpose of this movie is that. Do I think this is fundamentally a good movie? No. Mm -hmm. Do I think that you can gather that nice afternoon from it? Yes. Okay. My biggest problem with this movie is that I thought it was generic, played it too safe, and I was overall bored. Mm. bored I was bored (laughs) I was bored watching it and I also didn't think the music was memorable and I I didn't find it funny and you know maybe you can say I don't like joy I don't like magic (laughs) however my mood has been quite great I will say I've been in a my my cuckles have been warmed um, (laughs) over the holiday season so I don't think it was that. I just think fundamentally, as a whole, I didn't think this was an interesting movie in any way. But serves the purpose that you two are talking about. And for me, a Roald doll story, mm. the fun of those stories mm. is the darkness. Yeah, uh-huh. I agree. And... What makes adaptations of his work interesting is channeling that and Mm. using that to make an interesting kids film. This played it way too safe for me. It didn't lean into anything. And I think overall that's why I was just a bit bored by it. Mm -hmm. I actually don't really disagree with you. And that is something that I do love as well about Roald Dahl is the darkness. It's my favorite part. I think that I had already reconciled that in this Mm -hmm. movie because when I initially heard about it, I was so excited because of, you know, thinking of Timmy in sort of a dark Wonka Mm -hmm. origin story role. Mm -hmm. And then when I realized it was not going to be that, I like reset my expectations and was able to go in and be like, oh, it was sweet, you know? Mm -hmm. But I don't disagree with you. I think that, yeah, there is pretty much zero darkness to this film other than the fat suit um we'll get into that but (laughs) (laughs) but for what it was which I found you know it was a a family movie it it entertained me and I chuckled yeah (laughs) I think that's the you warmed your cuckles warm those cuckles Cuckle? Also, cuckle? what is a cuckle? What I don't is know. That? Like, <laughs> I, I, I was sitting there. It... I was like, "What actually is a cuckle?" I mean, cuckle. is it like the cuckles of your heart? Just like be you careful not the... to say cuckle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, cuckle. <laughs> um. Okay. What is a cuckle? It's actually a cuckle. A cuckle is a corrupt dialectical form of cuckle. Okay. Cockle. Okay. Those need that to be warmed dangerous. for sure. And a cockle is, oh. I think it's like the depth a of kind, your... No, it's a kind of a kiln or stove for oh. drying hops. 
Lol. It, it's the, bo- okay. the body of a, of a fire chamber of, of an air stove, usually made of brick. So it's a stove. Oh, okay. So it warmed the okay. cockle. It always just it was... sounds like people are saying for the person to warm themselves in some right. way. Not it's like to, their yeah. inner oven. Yeah, mm-hmm. not to like warm a kitchen appliance. Well, I'm so glad that we um, <laughs> clarified that well, for all of our Well, we have to because they say it about 10 times in this movie <laughs> as a character trait. Listen, I'm I Sinclair, I actually don't disagree with you on the point of you know, taking away the best from Roald Dahl, your favorite types of interpretations of that, the way that you kind of introduce the the dark twistedness to these kids' stories. Totally. This film isn't that. that. But that's fine. I think it's about expectations, as you say, Helen, going into it. Like this is a family movie. It's a family-friendly mm-hmm. movie. But it's, so was the original. Like so was the Gene Wilder one it's, too. That's true. That's true. That's and so true. So was Neverending Story, and so mm-hmm. was you know mm-hmm. all yeah. these these movies from our past. Yeah, but we were a different kind of child. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it back, man. Bring it back. Bring back terrifying kids. <laughs> I th- I think it was okay for this to be sweet and wholesome and whimsical and not too not too dark i mean he is still literally captured and put into indentured servitude his mother is dead he has to reconcile reckon that he's going to fight a cabal of like controlling gay coded villains he <laughs> like it, there's still some darkness here yeah let's talk about my big issue Keegan-Michael Key is a police officer who's being bribed by the chocolate cartel to run Timmy out of town. And he's being bribed with chocolate as though it is heroin. And he is a fiend for this chocolate. And he eats so much chocolate that he gains an enormous amount of weight in the span of like a week. And he just keeps getting bigger and bigger fat suits in this movie. I'm sorry. Are we not done with (sighs) fat suits? That's not funny. That is not a funny joke. Like when that when I saw that happen in this movie, I was like, oh, my God, who approved this? Like I I was shocked. It's a it's an element that is, you know, I, it's an interesting choice because that that character, not necessarily the cop, but like the person in this film who eats all the chocolate and gets fat is part of all of the other previous iterations of this movie too. I don't know why they chose to keep it though. Yeah. Weird. Mm-hmm. Weird choice. <laughs> I thought the jokes were completely bizarre mm. in this movie. I, there were certain jokes in this where I, the theater was laughing and I couldn't believe it. The, 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 yes, the, you know, the fat suit, I was like, wow. Okay. But <laughs> Also, the the, the t- every time a, the character heard the the evil cartel guy, whenever he heard poor, and he gagged, and I was like, "Are I we doing this? Funny. I Are we that doing was this?" Funny. <laughs> I think this like the laziest joke writing. Mm. You know, My- we saw that we saw that in Knives Out, and uh, you know, when the character mm. like gags and vomits, I was like, "Can we? In what world?" In what world? In this world. Is this, this is a different is this world. comical. <laughs> also, remember the chocolate is magical chocolate. It also impacts people. It allows them to levitate when they eat Only it. Only Willy Wonka's chocolate's magical. Not okay. the other and guys. This is chocolate. another thing I just I need point. to touch on. And just wait. <laughs> and I like I like the funny bits, like the the um that party night out chocolate that they give the security guy who goes through the whole ringer of like being fun and then yeah, dancing and the cute. security and then calling the person his like past love. And I like that that storyline kind of got a nice wrap up too. Um, I hear you read the fat suit. I will be honest, I did not clock that while watching it. That's I, shocking to me. It's because yeah, it's it, so ingrained to just see that in movies. I mean, it even now, you know. It didn't even, until you said it after. I actually only had one gripe with this film, which is funny because I thought it was the one that we all share because it was so mm. obvious to me. But that's that was that all of these three villains were just so clearly gay-coded. And I was like, mm. can we not get over the gay villain trope? That mm. was my only issue. But... And nobody else even seemed to notice that. So I think it's just one of those things where it's like we clock, I don't know, the things that we that we pay attention to. So obviously these characters have been done before in mm-hmm. in film. The 
Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the Gene Wilder character is like very iconic. Johnny Depp has mm-hmm. also um, done his it, yeah. iteration of this as well. And the one the a, an issue that I have with this film compared to the Gene Wilder character is it was I I honestly was like, is he supposed to be a wizard? Oh, like the magic is, of it all. Yeah, the magic irritated me because really? I oh no, and I just said I'm not gonna let you say that I hate magic and you're the um, only one saying it. Okay, so the magic <laughs> irritated the me and but I'll explain why. Um I was really wondering, is he supposed to be a wizard? Because that's the only way this is believable at all. There was nothing grounded in any sort of like real possibility where the Gene Wilder, I prefer that performance more because he is more of a mad scientist and mm. his intentions don't necessarily feel like he's just there to make chocolate. He There is an eccentricity to him where you don't really know why he's doing these experiments. Part of you feels like he may be, be, like he may be a con man and there's an excitement to that. This Things just appeared out of nowhere in in this Wonka, where when you watch the no, Gene they Wilder out of his film, magical hat. <laughs> when you watch the Gene Wilder film, his chocolate room it functions like an ecosystem, hmm. which is super interesting and fascinating. And you actually believe that somebody could build something like that. And it's a lot more grounded in reality. And it's I just think it's smarter. It's smarter mm, yeah. to have the specifics of I've created this thing. It functions with science. It functions with an ecosystem. And it's a lot smarter than having something just appear out of nowhere. Wonka's Chocolate Factory at the end of this movie. How? Was that? Re- how did? How? He, it, it, everything just suddenly would appear. All but this, this is... How? This is a world of pure imagination. But it, and I this think is a different world, Sinclair. World, you, can't, think, you can't keep compar- comparing it to the original Wonka I think film. it's a lazy world. I think it's a lazy way to tell a story. To well, I just, think it's a magical way. Just have these things appear. There's no specifics to it to make it interesting. But the specifics were his magical chocolate that captured storms and lightning and thunderbolt that had little flying bugs. It was there was an element of magic. The island was magic. It's a fuck. There's a fucking oompa loompa. It's like no, but I'm saying that the what makes Wonka interesting to me is. I don't want to say the science of it all, but I think the the specifics of it all. Being able to actually yeah. build some build something and you watching it and looking at like a scientist that's what's i didn't want to see a wizard i'm i'm i didn't want to see a wizard just pull things out of nowhere yeah you know that's fair yeah um we haven't spoken of the oompa loompa i think that we've touched on timmy's performance so why don't we just get into the performance of hugh grant as the oompa loompa (laughs) um right not enough okay we needed more oompa loompa in this film (laughs) Um, i I can't believe i'm saying this but we needed more oompa loompa yeah, <laughs> because I could have watched Hugh Grant Oompa Loompa and Timothy Chalamet try and act with each other all day. It was fucking hilarious. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. Sinclair, you were so, so, so against this casting. I'm still against it. I need but to be clear so that perfect. I am still against it. I'm, I, I was so bored with this movie. I was praying for Hugh Grant to come on as an Oompa Loompa. Because I was praying he, for it, and he doesn't casting. for so long. I know it takes a long time for him to. to I was make like, his at appearance. least I'm going to get to see grumpy, cranky, creepy Hugh Grant as the Oompa Loompa to spice this movie up a little bit. And it, he was even more than that. It was the way that he also played him as like aloof and imperious and yeah. like righteous and as it was, himself, basically. Yeah, it was just so good. Like I, this era of like Hugh Grant is a cranky shit, but yeah. like in these characters is perfect. And that, that I like that that dynamic even carried forth. Like we saw that that interview right where Timmy <laughs> was planted in the audience on one of the talk shows. It was so funny. Yeah, I quite enjoyed that. I I would take a standalone Hugh Grant is the Oompa Loompa film if uh, somebody wants to make that. <laughs> Just yeah, to... what, what happens when he goes back to that magical island? Yeah. 
and also just to hear him in all of the interviews just talk about how much he hates it I think it's hilarious like he doesn't hold back at all he's just like yeah I'm doing this because I have a lot of kids and I need the money and (laughs) I'm old and so this is the era of my career that I'm in sorry (laughs) perfect might as well be honest about it (laughs) so funny I also want to say even though it was a very small role just seeing Sally Hawkins Mm. on screen like I just have such warmth an affection for her she always she's the perfect like mom character in this film or whatever mm. in, in anything she just pulls at my like heartstrings immediately maybe it's from seeing her in mod or or the shape of i don't know what but in every role she just mm. has this like emotionality that i just love her so i loved seeing her i also love sally hawkins however i felt that using her was emotionally manipulative in this movie mm. um she's almost treated oh, like Jesus. a she like just like a prop to put in for you to know that now's your time to get emotional because you see sally hawkins and that's that's how i felt when i saw it i was like you're just gonna plop her in here to bring out some tears yeah and it worked, it worked. of course it worked. i had a little it's by design it. edison it's by design yes i am aware of that and i love it <laughs> I will say the last thing about performance about um, Timmy, I just love, so the gays are calling him Twanka for Twink Wonka, which is just killing me. Yeah, he's passable (laughs) in this. He's okay. Um, I just, I think that he, there's more interesting things for him to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, but what do we think about this as a choice though? Like, I think as a career choice, you know, when this was first announced, I thought, we all did when we were talking about it, it was had to be kind of subversive and dark. Like, it was going to be an interesting choice that way in terms of the performance itself. And it isn't. It doesn't go there. The the It's it's much less of a of that. But I do think it's an interesting choice for Timothy at this point in his career to take on a role like this that's in a kid's film. Like... It's a huge box office hit. It's made almost half a billion dollars. And I'm sure that that influenced this decision, knowing that it would reach a whole new audience and, you know, make him a bigger star even than he already is. But it's a fun choice. What do you think? I actually, I'm going to be a cynical Sinclair on this one and say he did it to become more famous and to make a lot of money. Um, (laughs) And I don't really think this was a creative choice at all. He has become very famous from this movie. Like, think about him last year in Creepy Cannibal and Bones and all. We don't see him doing a a, a meet and greet at Yorkdale Mall for Bones and all, but... I love that you said meet, meet and greet. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I I think absolutely. But I think that that's smart from a career perspective. 100%. This made him... We all know him. Everybody on the internet in that way tapped in knew him and he knows he's famous and whatever but like kids and parents yeah. now know that he's famous too yeah um okay what's the last word on wonka i found this to be sweet i was viewing it as its own standalone piece when you compare it to the 1971 film it's they're completely different things the 1971 film is better 100 the character is better in that movie but looking at this as its own entity, I found it entertaining, and I would love more Hugh Grant Upalupa, please, and thank you. Um, Sinclair, your last word? Oh, you know, last words for me. Let's bring back kids' movies that are traumatizing as fuck. We, I'm sorry. <laughs> bring it back. Uh, bring back the weird. Bring back. Bring back practical sets we didn't even I agree say anything technical about this I movie know, why bother it was all cgi yeah. um my hope is that hugh grant as the oompa loompa haunts the dreams of children for years to come <laughs> i think that children's movies became iconic because they took risks they dared to challenge the thoughts of children they dared to be weird and unique and at times scary and that's what makes them memorable in so many ways. The musical numbers are forgettable in this. They had to rehash the amazing songs from the 70s film because the songs in this are forgettable. So they had to rehash those songs. Um, yeah. yeah, this was a real snoozer. Um, your 
If it was the last word, not the last novella. (laughs) Your wallets will get milked more than Abigail the Giraffe does. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) That was it. It was waiting for that line. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, the last word for me is that I absolutely love this movie. I thought it was family-friendly fun. I thought it was wholesome and lovely and sweet. And I think pretty much everybody who is not deeply cynical or critical will enjoy or find some... People that are not at all critical. (laughs) Will find something to love in this movie. Um, Yay. (laughs) Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look, and you'll see into your imagination. Now, I want you to take where your mind is at with Wonka, whimsical London-adjacent early 1900s, and just shift it a bit to another form of London in the early 1900s, except instead of inventive chocolates... We've got inventive animals. So think head of a pig stitched on the body of a chicken. Mm. Um, And you're right where you need to be for Poor Things. Directed by Greek visionary Yorgos Lanthimos. In Poor Things, Willem Dafoe plays Dr. Godwin Baxter, a scientist slash surgeon who has brought Bella Baxter into the world. Bella, played by Emma Stone, has the body of a woman and the brain of an infant. She is learning how to talk, move, eat, exist in the world. Godwin's protege, Max McCandles, played by Rami Youssef, is brought on to study Bella and quickly falls in love with her unusual, charming perspective. But before the two can be betrothed, Bella must adventure out on her own and experience some furious jumping with the smarmy Duncan Wedderburn, played by Mark Ruffalo. What ensues is pure imagination. Poor Things asks the question, If ignorance is bliss, then is knowledge despair? Or is there a way to learn about the world and still want to live in it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, first impression, Edison. That is a great question, Helen. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. Um, okay. So, yeah, this film opens with the drama right off the bat. The musical score is crazy. The colors are super saturated. We see this woman standing on a bridge or ledge or something. The sky is black and gray. It's stormy. This gown she's wearing is like blue the most blue we see it's emma stone with the eyebrows and then, <laughs> and then she jumps and then the film is in black and white and i was like what um yeah we were all so so excited for this film the anticipation for this film for these two to be collaborating knowing that it was going to be good was real high um so i was going in to this admittedly with quite high expectations and trying to temper them in advance but not being not at all successful at doing that um but <laughs> <Sorry>. yeah <laughs> yeah i was really really like brought into this world immediately what about you sinclair i have been waiting for this movie yeah. forever for, for years, years. okay yeah. This was on my anticipated list like two years ago. It's taken mm-hmm. so long to come out. I I needed this movie. I needed this. Mm-hmm. After, you know, Wonka and a lot of other movies, I, I needed dark. I needed twisted and daring and absurd. And when this movie started, I thought, oh, I feel so much better. <laughs> I... <laughs> Loved the it was fact like a breath of fresh air. It was just air. a breath of fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was so bizarre. It was uh, topsy-turvy. You have no idea really where this is going to go. I just wanted to jump right into the screen when, when this started. It was so fun to be in the mm. theater watching this and just step into this strange world. And it just really, it's so gorgeous. And it just pulls you right in from the beginning. Mm-hmm. How about you, Helen? Well, I'm glad to hear how this movie opened because I walked in a couple minutes late. Uh, oh. So I walked in Shame. when he's like, I know, I'm sorry. I walked in when he was like burping out his mouth. Oh. 
So does that happen like right after we see her on the bridge? Within a few minutes, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the day that I went to see this movie, I was in a bit of a funk. I really didn't feel like going out, like leaving my house. Mm -hmm. And I was hoping that this movie would pull me out of the funk that I was in. And uh, so that was kind of where I was at when I plopped myself in the seat with my my subway sandwich (laughs) um (laughs) and i yeah so i walked in when he's at the table with bella and he's like burping out his food and she's being a playful baby on the other end of the table (laughs) um and i was like okay here we go let's do this this. okay Um, let's get into storytelling so okay so a story is of course focused on the journey of the characters and the themes and we'll get into all of that but it exists in a place and a time and when we think of the very very best stories the ones that have stood the test of time and the people keep coming back to for reference or drawing on for inspiration these great stories exist in a world that is very fully realized Mm -hmm. and I think before we even get into the story of Bella Baxter I just want to acknowledge what an absolute master of world building Yorgos Lanthanos is mm -hmm, and I think mm -hmm. it's a big part of why we look forward so much to his films whether it's the house the siblings are trapped in and Dogtooth or the hotel and the lobster or 1700s England and the favorite he sets his stories in this these richly detailed worlds and it's just so utterly brilliant at transporting us the audience into those worlds and poor things is no different it's almost like an alternate reality of london and lisbon Mm -hmm. and paris it's fantastical and bizarre exaggerated absurd but it's so meticulous and like robustly brought to life Mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter what he puts in it whether it's that animal hybrid that you mentioned in the opening helen or Bella Baxter, it all feels so real. And I think that's a big part of why this film succeeds, because the world is so rich and complete, and because we accept a character like Bella in it. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to shout that out at the beginning, because I Mm -hmm. think that that is key to the success of the storytelling in this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is based off a book by Scottish author Alistair Gray, and it's a postmodern revision of Frankenstein that, mm-hmm. you know, replaces Frankenstein's monster with Bella Baxter. You know, I'd like to read this, but I feel like I'm happy that I didn't. Uh, mm. It was really nice actually just going into this, uh, not fully knowing what to expect. Uh, this is similar to the story of Frankenstein, which is one of my favorite novels uh, of all time. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. It was written by Mary Shelley in 1818. And what I thought was interesting was how this took the story of Frankenstein and it flipped it. You know, Frankenstein, even though it was written by a woman, that that story is focused mainly on male characters and mm. this idea of a man wanting to push the limits of science and experimenting and asking these big questions and men wanting to explore and seek out answers. And it also questions the idea of God and playing God and Mm -hmm. God casting out his creation into this cruel world and also very much a criticism of religion and poor things even though Bella's character is is her creator is male the story centers around her a -hmm. female a female Mm -hmm. wanting to explore the world instead of it being you know Victor Frankenstein's character that casts her out into the world just unwillingly Bella goes out into the world by her own free will and her want to explore and her need to explore which is generally something that's given to a male character Mm -hmm. usually when you see a woman wanting to answer philosophical questions it's because she's like gone through a divorce or something Mm -hmm. oh she's gone through a divorce and it's always attached to the oppression of women instead Mm -hmm. of just a woman being alive you know and wanting to explore and I really really appreciated that about this movie yeah this is my favorite feminist movie from 2023 (laughs) Mm -hmm. um I was honestly like dumbfounded by how 
beautiful and brilliant I thought this movie was. And, you know, to speak to what you were just talking about, Sinclair, the the book and the fact that it was written by a man and, you know, Yorgos directed this film and he's a man. I, I love how the autonomy of a woman is so championed in this movie. Really, when you look at the fundamental like motivations of of her character and what she's going through her journey it's actually very simple like it's just Mm -hmm. a person coming into their own and discovering the world but it's built with such extravagance like the execution is so extravagant and bizarre and it really makes for like an honestly like a masterpiece like I this movie like blew my socks off Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, sometimes films that are championing or some type of a perspective can feel preachy or irritatingly. But this is not that at all. It's so much smarter than that. Because you just see, though, through her eyes, the complete absurdity of the patriarchy. Exactly. Yeah. How Mm. absurd it is. The, that she should have to deal with all these men who want to possess and control her. Like, she's just trying to live her life. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's not pushy. It's not, like, luxury in, in any way. It no. just lays it out for you. And I think that that is super, super effective. Mm-hmm. I want, like, all of the world's men to see this movie. <laughs> right? And you can't argue it, which I think is so brilliant. Like, mm-hmm. she's just saying the facts, you yeah. know? She's like, oh, you want to marry me? Okay, you can marry me, but I'm just going to go have fun with this person first. Like, what's mm-hmm. wrong with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm Wait. just being honest. Why would yeah. I keep something in my mouth that I find just Find revolting. Yeah. 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 Sometimes you want to punch yeah. a baby, you know? Um, <laughs> I want to discuss the, the discovering of sexuality mm-hmm. and how it's presented in this movie. Because, look, this could have gone really wrong. And it's gone really wrong, I think, in a lot of movies. This idea of a woman discovering her sexuality, having this naivete and, you know, this baby brain Mm. put into her body. Um, This could become what is called the born sexy yesterday trope. Um, Mm -hmm. You can YouTube that. There's really good video essays on that. Um, You get that character in The Fifth Element. You get that character in Splash. It is a very sexual woman with a childlike attitude and brain Mm -hmm. and naivete and she's being guided by a man Um, this movie didn't do that at all this is one of the those movies that somehow did it right and it was really (laughs) refreshing this never feels creepy it never feels fetishy and it is because the writing of her character is so good she is not that character from splash or the fifth element she is assertive and even though she doesn't know everything about the world yet she has so much agency she seems to always hold the upper hand in most of this and you see her being in the driver's seat for this yeah, film exactly. and you know standing up for herself and it also is funny it is genuinely yeah. Yeah. funny and it never veers into creepy no not at all well and it's interesting what you said in those comparisons Sinclair that she's being guided by a man and what is different here is that she's not being guided by a man she's being guided by herself mm-hmm. she has the power throughout this entire movie mm-hmm. you know Mark Ruffalo's character wants to control her wants to be in charge of her and yet she controls him in the end and Unwill- it, it, like, it makes unintentionally. these male characters mad like yeah. turn into complete puddles yeah because they can't control this woman and it's fascinating like that Mark Ruffalo's character is so perfect because you just see this unraveling if he's like how do I even have an identity mm-hmm. if it's not like who even am I if I can't yeah. control this woman yeah and to speak more on you know the sex in this movie I love the way that sex work is portrayed as well Mm -hmm. it doesn't it's not judging sex work at all Mm -hmm. it's just her saying like oh this is a way that I can make money okay sure I'm gonna do it and then you know she has her criticisms of it she says like well why shouldn't we pick because wouldn't it be better if we're picking you and then you know that we like it Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. 
Um, she calls it her whoring, my whoring. Yeah, yeah. You know, just yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's not like looking through a rose colored lens at that world. It's just no. all presenting it as a thing, an experience that's not that is without judgment. I think yeah. that is this whole film really is like in terms of her. Yeah, and it really just looks at, at sex as a part of life. Yeah. That you can enjoy. And there doesn't need to be any judgment around that. Like I was watching this thinking, can we like play this in like sex ed classes in high school? <laughs> like, Honestly, <laughs> me too. And it's funny because I saw an interview with Emma Stone. We'll talk about performances in a bit, but where she said like there was so much to unlearn mm. when working for this character about shame around sex and around all of that and that that's what a big part of why it's her favorite character mm-hmm. she's ever played and I thought yeah of course if you're in the mind of Bella Bastard for all of this time you are gonna have to feel some type of sexual liberation like it's kind of simple it's just like sex is, Ex- yeah. is like fun like why yeah. can't we just like do it and enjoy it it doesn't have to be such a thing well that line is so great when she says why don't people do this all the time? Yeah. And yeah, it's like, of course, why? It's fun and this, but it's it, honestly even so much more than that too. It's like coming from a woman, it's like, oh, because you experience so much shame. Mm-hmm. Women mm-hmm. have experienced so much slut shaming and all of that. And oh, because there's so much, you know, societal criticism of you. Mm-hmm. That That's why. That's what makes that line so good and, and hit home you know for mo- for mm-hmm. a lot of people yeah and she comes up against that polite society quote unquote like mm-hmm. that is the reason for why she needs to tone herself down or she can't say this and she can't do that and it really makes you question it you know mm-hmm. like we have been so dulled i think in a lot of aspects of life because it's not the way you're supposed to behave and just watching her go through the world in this movie it like it changes your perspective like well she's going through the world like a man in a lot of this yeah too the assertion the Mm -hmm. you know no shame sleeping around like she's going through the world similar with the freedom that the the world has given men yeah yeah. yeah. And she's learning by doing. She's not yeah. learning by being told. Yeah. Like, you know, Duncan tells her she can only eat one tart and then she goes out on her own, she eats a bunch and then she throws up, you know? <laughs> like, okay, maybe that's too much, right? Well, but she's this learning is on the her bit own. That I love too. Like you you mentioned it in your in the question that you asked in the opening there, Helen, where it's like, yeah, she's learning about the world and it's like I like this journey cuz at the beginning she's just id. Like, she's pure chaos, learning, figuring it out. It's all based on instinct. But I do love that by the end, she's learned that, like, true liberation isn't existing just as, like, an operation, like, going through the world purely on instinct. It is about finding a way to carve out Mm -hmm. your own place within society Mm -hmm. while still being a part of that society. There are some societal norms and conventions that have merit and can contribute to your sense of liberation. Mm And, and making meaning of the ups and downs, you know? Yeah. I love when she gets stuck in her nihilistic phase. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> and, but I, only because I knew that she would be, that she would come out of it in, in some other, in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I was like, oh no, this can't be, you yeah. know me, but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, let's get into the performances in this film. Emma Stone is a revelation oh my god Mm -hmm. this is like a master class in acting again like i want to show this in sex ed classes and i want to show this in like acting classes Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's so fully embodied it and she goes from you know zero to a hundred and then back somewhere in the middle in this in this movie it is everything and it is entirely believable this film asks so much of her performance from the physicality from the way that she walks every single like sequence there's like a slight evolution in how this character is which is wild when you take into consideration that this would not have been filmed chronologically and it's like she had to always be Mm -hmm. present in that exact moment with that that unique iteration of bella 
this is an egoless performance. It's the most courageous, incredible, fearless performance. I I don't know how she doesn't win an Oscar for this. She has to. She won the she Golden Globe to. for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. Lily Gladstone won for Best Actress in a Drama for Killers of the Flower Moon. I adored Lily in that film, but there's just no comparison here. Mm-hmm. Like, this performance is one for the ages. I think... Emma Stone is going, she is going to have a really long, successful career. And I think in the far future, when people are doing like, start doing retrospectives on her work, this is going to be one of her most celebrated and beloved roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is it. This is the performance of the year. It's just hands down. At the the Globes, when they announced that category and everyone else in that category, I thought there's just no competition. It's Emma Stone. Mm -hmm. If there's nothing compares to this this year at mm-hmm. all um it's comedy it's horror it's drama it's absurdist she carries this film this is a lead, this is the lead performance this is it um yeah. there's transformation there's physicality i i honestly don't know who else could have done this i mean maybe helena bonham carter in the 90s but she does not have the <laughs> sense of humor of mm-hmm. emma stone in the same way jennifer lawrence i don't think would have brought the same level of gravity i I don't think she's as Mm. she's great actress not as highly skilled as emma stone i don't think um this this is it i don't know who else would have done this yeah yeah she was incredible incredible also mark ruffalo like Mm -hmm. i'm i'm so used to seeing him in this box of like likable hulk guy this is the mcu thing and the romantic comedies it's been a long time since we've seen him in those films where he was like act you know given really complex roles it was really refreshing to see him stretch and he's talked about it in interviews too about how excited and scared he was to break out of that mold that hollywood has kind of put him in these past few years it's an unhinged super freeing like it must have been so fun Mm -hmm. for him to do this performance yeah i saw i read a quote where he said uh this performance was it's one foot on a banana peel and the other in a grave Mm-hmm. amazing yeah i think marvel really d- derailed him for a while mm. because when you go back into his early career there are really meaty roles like i recently yeah. watched rewatched in the cut mm. and he is very very sexual in that and mm-hmm. you know watching that along with poor things around the same time he plays characters with a lot of sexual prowess <laughs> Mm-hmm. and is incredible at it and it's, it's so it, i'm so happy to see him doing something daring again and messy it's just it's so nice willem dafoe is incredible as always in the role of godwin uh you know a heavily disfigured scientist whose father did like horrible experiments yeah. on him but has a has an acceptance about it and uh he he is lovable even yeah, though so weird yeah, yeah even though he is monstrous in this movie yeah. but he he is lovable well he plays the opposite of the victor frankenstein character mm. he's playing this mm. he it's really interesting because he is a combination of i think victor frankenstein and also um Dr. Moreau from the Island of Dr. Moreau, which is another one of my favorite novels. This movie has it all. Um, <laughs> truly. And he ha- he's this empathetic version of, of those two classic characters. And he shows a lot more compassion and a lot more empathy. And the interesting thing is that, is that he has been this, he's the experimenter, but he has also been the subject yeah. Mm-hmm. And he is kind of playing the role of the scientist and the monster at the same time. It was like a right. wonderful combination. And I think that that kind of gives him the motivation to be empathetic towards mm. his his subjects. And mm-hmm. he I mean and he does let her go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which says something, right? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Quick shout out to to Catherine Hunter as the madam in the brothel who oh, yes. we loved a couple years ago in Macbeth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so cool. she's wonderful. That voice, I know, and, her, and just her face and her physicality. Like, yeah. I love it, and I love her in that brothel outfit. Like, so I know. it's just so fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of technical, come on visuals. Oh. The 
camera work in this movie is next level. I yeah. I don't know how a world exists where this doesn't win best cinematography at the Oscars. It's the most creatively shot film I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. There's this like voyeuristic camera technique through the whole thing where it's like when you're in an apartment and you and somebody knocks at the door and there's that weird little glass lens in the door. Like that a fisheye lens, yeah. That's everywhere in this and it, it adds to this feeling of like discombobulation. And these crazy wide lenses, wide lens shots where it's like everything on the sides sort of mm. gets stretched. Mm-hmm. There's so many peculiar and original like angles. I mm-hmm. just can't say enough about it. Well, and the sets, like the world building in this, um, oh which you God. mentioned off the top. Um, it's just so like I said in the intro, it is pure imagination. This is imagination of the world like because it is still we're seeing the real world but it is skewed and it's from this just it it, i actually wrote down that it felt like an adult rolled doll novel without even thinking about it being in relation to wonka and they you they filmed most of this on a soundstage they used some miniatures at times um but they really built out like all the sets like the ship and and Lisbon and mm-hmm. Paris and and they were also intentionally making a lot of the sets look like genitalia oh yeah and so that that <laughs> was really that built into a lot of it. The, yeah mm-hmm. yeah the set design in this is so good it's exactly what I needed and wanted it's not it's mm-hmm. what I didn't get in Wonka where I, it was just all mm-hmm. CGI this is a very yeah. this is a timeless style of film um, movies that inspired this were films by um, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Uh, one film is Black Narcissist, which is an incredible film. Uh, so many painted backdrops. I've mm-hmm. talked about one of their films before on, on the podcast, The Red Shoes, when we did mm-hmm. dance oh, yeah. movies and the mm-hmm. painted uh, backdrops. This really pulled from that, these gorgeous painted sets. Um his lab is also really interesting mm-hmm. because normally you think of a scientist's lab. They're very dark, uh, kind of menacing. They're in a dark cellar. This is in a bright open space. Edison, yeah. you probably loved all the light in this <laughs> film. One thing I want to mention about the world building is that this is retro futurism. Mm-hmm. And I watched this and I was like, this feels, sci- this feels steampunk, but totally. not, mm. but not. And right. the reason for that is, and I, I, I think I got this down, the difference is is that retrofuturism is set in an early time, but using things that are imagined in the future, that come later in the future, okay. where steampunk is in the future, but it's using old ah. industrial machinery. Right, and so right, that's right, like yeah. the di- distinction mm-hmm. between the two. And that's why that's so when cool. you wa- watch it, you're like, this feels steampunk, but not quite. There is a, a right. difference that's happening here in this world. Yeah. So cool. Mm-hmm. And we can't finish up on technical without just mentioning the score, which mm-hmm. was so <laughs> unusual mm-hmm. and I original. Uh, yeah but imagine like listening to it of its own it's yeah. so abrasive and yeah. like abrupt and screechy at times but i mean truly adds to this film for sure yeah the composer was jerskin fendrix amazing yeah um okay what is the last word on poor things helen well i was in a funk going into this movie and i will say that it changed me <laughs> Yeah. Um, I felt different when I left. I felt hopeful. I felt like I wanted to make art. And, you know, I mentioned this last week in our most anticipated episode that when we saw Bo's Afraid, I said, okay, men aren't allowed to make movies for a while. <laughs> and Yorgos Lanthimos has brought at least himself out of grounding. He is, he can make as many fucking movies as he wants. Yeah, I don't yeah, like yeah you have redeemed male filmmakers at least for a while i believe it's called furious jumping helen not (laughs) fucking (laughs) yeah that that's my last word uh edison yeah um for me this film like i had high expectations really high going into it they were met and surpassed 
it's my favorite film of the year so far, mm-hmm. easily. I love how it was like screechingly hilarious. And <laughs> at times in a like, ha ha ha, like laughing way. And at times in a like, what the fuck am I looking yeah. at way? <laughs> this performance from a stone is untouched. It's truly remarkable. The way that this film looks, the originality, the like, uh, ev- literally everything about it. I mm-hmm. just was obsessed. I loved, 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 loved. Mm-hmm. How about you, Sinclair? Yeah, I needed this film. Also my favorite film of the year yeah. so far. Uh, this has everything all rolled into one movie. Poor Things is one of those movies that gives me hope for the future of cinema, makes me yeah. believe again in the power of cinema. And it's just so thought-provoking. It's wild. It's weird. Go see this. Don't bring your kids. Uh <laughs> or maybe bring the no. kids. I don't know. Um, <laughs> bring back <laughs> leave their asses at home. Take them to kids. Wonka. Uh, you know what? This one's for the freaks, baby. Yes. <laughs> well, this has been a very special double feature episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Uh, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And season seven's episodes are available on YouTube talk movie to me podcast i'm helen i'm miss sinclair and i am edison if- <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, <I'm sorry. laughs>